Hello and welcome to the unofficial, unsanctioned women's UCI cycling show and our very special 2015 season preview. With me, as always, to discuss everything women's cycling is my dear friend, Sarah. My name's Dan. Thanks for joining us. How are you, Sarah? I'm all good. Yeah, we're going to do a season preview and we're going to do this in a slightly different way because we thought we'd do a little bit of women's cycling for newbies, um, for people who might not watch women's cycling or might not watch women's road cycling. So I know there's a lot of mountain bike and track and cyclocross fans out there. Um, and then we're going to talk about what the races are coming up, what teams are coming up, uh, teams will be racing them and how to watch them. So apologies if this is stuff you know inside out. Um, and for anyone who we don't answer any questions, you know, you still have questions we'll tell you how to get in touch with us so we can tell you more later indeed and actually i take back sarah's apology if you already know all this then good on you and now you have a podcast you can refer to all your friends so you know <laughs> yay <laughs> yeah um can i caveat can i put some caveats around this oh please so obviously do. obviously we're talking road and the other thing is that we're talking the top level uci races yeah so we're not talking about the domestic seasons can well, just take I'm, forever i'm just gonna call i'm just gonna call politics on that because i assume that the reason that you want to only talk road is simply because you're trying to deny how awesomely dominant we australians have been at the track world championships absolutely not i love track if i thought you'd talk track with me i'd talk track with you all day long but i'm not the person who complains <laughs> about people not turning right that's you well that's it's not job. my fault the track it, it could be a bi-directional track if it, it's literally a decision or someone just makes a decision they can go both ways that would be awesome anyway, but Dan... second awesome after that is australia winning everything we we now own all of the track championships where that's the track so not true you know you don't I'm going to do another winners. podcast with someone who's a track specialist. <laughs> the world is so, 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 so good. But well, oh, yes, oh. Australia has been amazing, wonderful, fantastic. I have to say that you cannot not talk about Kirsten Vild stomping all over the scratch race and winning in her most incredible, oh my God, she's gone too early. No, she's just that strong style. And Christina Vogel, oh wow, in the sprint, I was so excited. So yes, Australia are wonderful, but they haven't won everything. Well, you just mentioned two of the best Australian victories in the whole thing. So, <laughs> anyway, let's get back to road. So, if you're new to if you're new to cycling, road cycling, it's quite a complicated sport to get into. So, Dan, what is in a nutshell? How does road cycling work? Um, look, there are the, the quickest way to start to understand road cycling is to understand the different types of races. So um, in broad strokes, there are two key different types. There are one-day races, and then there are multi-day races, which are known as stage races. So a one-day race is exactly what it sounds like. You start and finish on the same day. The winner of the race on the day is the winner overall. But this is where it starts to get a little tricky because cycling, while having one winner, uh, is actually a team sport. And so even though one person crosses the line first and has declared the winner, they will quite often have benefited from the effort of their team over the course of the race to uh, protect them, defend against attacks on the road, and and put them in a position to win. Um, then there are, within races generally other competitions so it's not just about who crosses the line first particularly in stage races uh where you'll find they have multiple uh what are known as jerseys so a different type of special jersey for um the, 
usually a points based jersey which is generally speaking based around uh, intermediate and sprints at the finish where you get points assigned for where you cross the line and um, and a climbing jersey um, and it's similar to the points jersey but based on the the climbs over the course of the race some races have other jerseys and and other rewards as well and um, it, it all goes into the mix of and part of what makes cycling so interesting is because there are multiple competitions within the competition as it were yeah and basically the race so say you have a race like the tour de france or the women's giro the giro rossa the way that you win that race overall is by having basically completing the entire race in the shortest overall time so when i first look started looking at cycling i get very confused because you know mark cavendish or whatever it's well actually i was started before cav but you know mark cavendish has won six stages but he's way 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 back on the general classification what's going on that dude's leading but he's only won one stage And that's because it goes on the cumulative overall time. Yeah. Yep. So that's exciting. You've got day races and stage races, and they've also got like special within that you've got different types. So you've got like classics, which are generally cobbledy and take place in terrible weather and, you know, kind of classics for, I guess, a reason, you know, they're they're, they're just, they're kind of self-defined classics, fan-defined classics. Now, If you are coming to the sport from men's cycling, there are some quite big differences between men's races and women's races, yeah? Mm, Absolutely. And that that has an impact on the riding. So, for example, men's 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 teams are generally nine riders big. Yep. And women's teams are generally six riders big. And that Um, that becomes important because... Um, as, as mentioned earlier, when the team is working for a particular rider, it reduces the number of riders that you have available to ride different roles in support of that team leader. And, um, and it means that teams have to adjust their tactics to be more careful in, in how they expend those resources. Yeah. And then when you come to the races, there are some, but there is also some big differences too, because men's races, I think men's stage race, men's, the, the amount of Time, the maximum amount someone can ride for a day, I think it's about 250 kilometers, 230 kilometers, something like that. For women, their races are limited to 130 to 150 kilometers for, state, for day races. And when they're riding stage races, they've got to average 100 kilometers a day. Which means if you have one stage that's near that, that upper daily limit, say 150 kilometres, you've got to have another stage that's only around 50 kilometres so that it averages out. Yeah. Now, if you're coming into cycling from a sport like triathlon or a sport like um, uh, athletics, where men and women uh, compete on the same distance, you might wonder why the women's t- races are kept so much shorter. And, and so does everyone else in the world, to be honest. I mean, it's, yeah, it's an arbitrary. It's arbitrary. Yeah, I think what you have to understand is there's no logic. So cycling is run by the governing body, which is the UCI, the Union Cycliste Internationale, and they make these rules. And basically, cycling... It's a little bit chauvinist. I mean, it's changing and it's really good that there's changes, but cycling isn't, um, it's not one of these progressive sports where you can see men and women run a marathon or you can see men and women run, do the same Ironman triad yeah, course. I, I, do, I do need to just um, interrupt briefly and translate. Sarah was speaking fluent British just then when she said it's, <laughs> when she said it's a little bit chauvinist. In the rest of the English speaking world, what that translates to is it's so fucking chauvinist it will drive you fucking mental and you will swear a lot and be absolutely outraged because it's just <laughs> stupid 
that's what but, she actually but meant. The, th- the thing is though is is one of the things is, is that this isn't necessarily all bad so on the one hand yeah it's kind of sexist that women and men ride differently but on the other hand it means that the racing is very very different yep. so with the men's style races you generally have for example if you're riding i don't know 200 kilometers on your stage or whatever 190 kilometers on your stage then you're going to be knackered by the end of it yeah mm. for women women are co- totally capable of riding the same distances but because they don't, they're not allowed to, and they've got smaller teams. What happens is you get a different dynamic within the races, yeah. And this tends to manifest in attacking, um, lots and lots and lots of attacking, because the women don't have to conserve their energy just to finish the day. So they kind of put in lots and lots of attacks. Now the other thing is that men's cycling. If you're watching men's cycling, what, what you'll generally see in very very general in like you know stage of the Tour de France or a you know race like the World Championships is a small break. We'll get up the road. That a break is like a group of people who've you know who who kind of get away up the road and are working together. And gradually, 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 they'll be reeled in by you know big teams putting all of their you know nine men on the front. Well, eight men with your sprinter holding back so that they can wear them down yeah so that he can pull these people back and and catch them and then the race starts in earnest however in women's there's not enough room for that in women's racing so women are a lot more it tends to be much more attacking there's and a bit more unpredictable and the women tend to be less specialist so in the men's teams you've got right he's my sprinter he's my climber he's my time trialist these are the domestiques who do all the work for the other people you know and they'll they'll be the kind of people who go on the front to kind of chase people down and and exhaust themselves and sometimes even to the point where the domestiques themselves are semi-specialized you know he's the one who's the the primary helper in the in the climbing he's the one who's the primary helper on the flats and that sort of thing as well so you know that is a luxury of those larger team numbers yeah, but with women's racing, they because it's smaller teams, you don't really have the space. So there are some people who are, you know, very definitely. So you've got some very definite sprint specialists like Georgia Bronzini or Kirsten Field are two of the kind of the big sprinters. And then you've got big climbers too. But they tend to be more people, more uh, more all-rounders or they'll have more mm. than one special, specialism because you can't – and they'll also tend to ride for each other more. So you get a ride like Mariana Voss, who's obviously the queen of cycling. I'm, I'm sure everyone in the, has heard of Mariana Voss who's got anything to do with – who's any kind of interest in cycling. But you know, Mariana is just as likely to ride for her teammates as she is to ride for herself. So it's kind of – whereas you wouldn't really see Alberto Contador – riding for a teammate because he doesn't have to because he's the star you know or or brad wiggins i mean you see cab doing it when he's when it's not a straight you know not a stage race but you know they don't they have one job whereas in women's it's a bit more teamy i'd say than the men's in in a kind of you know more 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 reciprocity and we talk about this in terms of dutch style racing um because women's cycling heartland is the netherlands and belgium um it's it's you know it that's where the biggest races are dan Mm. what's dutch style racing all about well dutch style racing is about one thing and one thing only the wind (laughs) oh it's not just one thing because sometimes they have cobbles and roads (laughs) and canals but but, but even those are all all extra to the wind the wind if you ever watch actually um we've got some great videos linked in some of our previous posts on our website prowomencycling.com um 
where you can watch interviews and you can pick the duchies because every time there's an interview and they're talking about a race and there's a hint of wind and you, you know the interviews with a duchy even if the sound's down or whatever because they get this really evil grin on their face and um, and someone will be like, so what, what will you do in the wind? And they'll get this really, really nasty look and they'll be like, put it in the gutter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, if you ride yourself riding in the wind, there's different things. So your headwind means you're basically riding. It's like you're riding through treacle, isn't it? You, you just mm. your, your legs are moving. You're going at an incredibly small speed and you want to die. Your tailwind coming from behind you makes you all go very, very, very fast and keeps a high speed. So it's harder to get away. And your side winds, I mean, are just 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 try and knock you off. And it's very hard to ride. And so how you use the winds tactically is really important. I mean, it's important in men's cycling, but I'd argue that it's probably more important in women's cycling because what happens is, unlike, you know, so in a men's race, it's a very long race. There's lots of chance to do things. In women's races, it's not un unheard of to have the first attack full of all the big favourites go in the first 12 kilometres. Oh, exactly. I mean, we saw some races last year where I think the, the main attack happened within like two kilometres. Like as soon as the flag went up from the neutral rolling start, um, the attacks were on and, and you'd have it, you know, flying apart in no time. But also in terms of course reconnoitering and team tactics, teams will often quite literally, you know, they'll pay very careful attention to the wind in the region and they, they will literally have a specific corner you know, where the race turns left or, or whatever, picked for them to launch their attack, you know, and they'll have two or three spots like that over the over the course of the whole race uh, where they're going to try things because they believe the wind will go in a particular way and be advantageous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's the racing. The other things that are different to men's, in the men's side, you have three, you know, you have the World Tour, you have, um, you know, which is the kind of top teams, and you have pro-continental and continental teams, and you have um, things like minimum wages and stuff like that. Now, in the women's side, there isn't that distinction. There's only uh, currently only one distinction of teams. So when we say pro teams, UCI, so you basically have teams that are ranked as domestic level and UCI level. And UCI level, basically, all you have to do is have twenty thousand euros to deposit in a in a bank account, and you can be UCI level. So it's quite hard when you look at this list of, I think it's forty UCI level teams this year. Yeah, um, it, it can be quite hard knowing what they are. But um, yeah, should we talk about the teams first and then talk about the races? That might be fun because we can talk about people and then we can talk about what they'll be racing. Sure, sure. Well, I, I think that makes a lot of sense, particularly because that will also help, you know, break down when we talk about pro women's cycling. Because as you say, um, that 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 lack of clarity on the ranking of the teams can make it confusing for someone new to the sport. So we'll try and we'll try and help you with that. Um, or I guess the last thing I'd mention in relation to that too is that the UCI are reviewing that system at the moment. And hopefully, we'll change it sometime soon. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so when we talk about how grumpy we are about some things, we are in a place of hope. I mean, women's cycling went through this stage where it was very, very big um, about, I guess, 10 years ago now. But it, then after the 2008 Olympics had a bit of a problem with races going and money going. And, and part of this was because the main UCI management under Pat McQuay just didn't care. Yeah. Mm, mm. But with the success of the Olympics, it's it's changed things and we are in a really different place where things where at the moment things are evolving and developing it is not perfect there are things that make me want to scream but equally 
it's full of hope, you know, like like there's more good than bad. And that's really important to kind of hold yeah. on to. Sarah's being a little bit modest because she's pinning it on the um, the 2012 London Olympics. But I would like to point out that's also the year that we started this podcast. And, um, and <laughs> yeah. women's cycling seems to have been getting stronger since. So uh, correlation is not necessarily causation, but I'll just leave those two facts sitting side by side and leave it for you to decide. So, <laughs> so when I talk... <laughs> When I talk about the the categories, so I'm going to categorize races later and categorize teams, but these are just my personal categories. Yeah, they don't um, they don't mean anything to anyone else. Yeah, so so just bear with me. And if you disagree with me, that's absolutely fine. Let's argue about it on Twitter. Um, I'm I'm underscore pigeons underscore, or you can argue about it on our website, prowomenscycling.com. I love that. So I would say this year there's maybe I'm I'm going with one two three four five six six or seven really big teams yeah who are the big absolute pro top of the trees teams now i I should point out just for the sake of comparison when we talk about um big teams in terms of of women's um cycling we're, we're still talking about a team that operates on probably somewhere between two and five percent of the budget of a men's team yeah yeah I don't think there's a team out there that's got a budget of more than half a million a year. Yeah. And um, most of them, and actually and actually, a lot of them. The other thing is with the big teams, so you've got, when we talk about these big teams, some of them even don't have a particularly big budget. But, you know, I reckon that you've got teams out there that are operating on 250 grand a year, yeah? Yeah. And, and still doing well and winning races and stuff. So there's a very, very, very big difference in that. So, and, and within those teams, so some people are being paid really good wages. Other riders aren't being paid at all. So one of the things that's interesting about the women's side is that you'll get a lot of riders who've got a side, you know, side thing going on. So they're not just cycling. So, for example, they might be studying or they might be, um, you know, training or they might have a, you know, Iris Slappendale has a design business. Tiffany Cromwell has a design business, you know. Uh, writers, you know, have gigs as, you know, writers have gigs as writers. So Marine de Vries, for example. And, you know, it's 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 not it, it, it's not as they're very they still have to put in the same effort that the men put in you know with the training and the work and stuff like that but they don't um but you know there's there's a really big difference and that's slightly problematic too because if you're a young person who's not very you know it's not very doesn't really understand and you you know you're say based in australia and you get an offer to ride you're not necessarily going to know straight off which is the best teams or not without knowing a way in so um big teams so when last year, the big dominant teams, I'd say uh, Bowles Dolmens, uh, which is Dutch, Orica, AIS, Rabobank, Liv, uh, Wiggle Honda, and what was last year Specialized Lululemon, which this year is Velocio Sram. Yeah? Yep. So, and there's been a lot of changes. Um, Rabobank and Orica are probably the most stable. And Rabobank is the home of Mariana Voss, who has won, I think she's on 12 world titles across road track cyclocross yeah she uh, she hasn't won the mountain bike one yet so you know she's still got stuff to do she's an underachiever marianne is marianne is a phenomenal she's 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 the best all-round cyclist in the world and she's won you know she won the you might remember her winning the olympic road race in london oh my god and she's just had a really interesting time because in 2012 she won she's she this last year was the first year she came less than second at world championships mm. since her junior career. 
Um, she's a really and 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 in men's cycling, you might think, oh, does that mean she's doping? But <laughs> she's just genuinely very very passionate about anti-doping, very very passionate about cycling. Pushes herself, is incredibly clever, and has a very strong team. So yeah, so I'd say, Mar- I'm, you know, I wouldn't bet my life that Mariana's clean because it's cycling. But I would, I'd be, I, you know, I think if Mariana was found doping, I'd leave this. I couldn't be part of the sport anymore because it's just, I just don't believe it because she's been so outspoken about it and she. She's also what makes her very special. She's a very lovely person off the bike. She's shy and modest and works her heart out for the sport. And, and she's so super wildly friendly. popular among all of the riders. Yeah, yeah. You don't yeah. have people saying a bad word about her. She's just yeah. she, she's very she's she's not so much a patron like a, the boss of the Peloton. She's quite you know quiet, but she's very she does a lot of work about yeah. developing at all levels and she's a real, real champion. I mean um, she she couldn't be more antithetical to an apocryphal Texan who makes enemies everywhere, you know. <laughs> yeah, so. Mariana Voss would never crash her car into other people's cars while drink while coming back drink driving from party and then blame his wife. Her <laughs> um yeah, no, anyway, so Rabobank with Mariana, she's riding alongside Pauline Ferran Prevot, French young French woman who is has been called the next Mariana Voss for ages because she also is multidiscipl- multidisciplinary. And Pauline Ferran Prevot won the Road World Championships this year. And racing with them, they've also got some super talented riders. Lucinda Brand is a marvellous domestique who won her first World Cup last year. Um, you've got riders like Roxana Knateman, who's just such a fun um, daughter of the legendary Harry Knateman. And this year they've added riders like Shari Gillow, the Australian yep. in there, and they've added a couple of other new riders. So Rabo are Dutch. They're very much a Dutch team, but they always like some international team, national people. And they're worth watching because they always do really good videos. They're a fun team. And they're known for for their aim is that everyone well they have Voss who could win everything their aim is that everyone gets a chance to ride for herself so yep. for example you, you do get races where 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 the cent, where, you know where the obvious thing would be for Voss to win but they'd actually rather go for not winning if it gave a chance to someone else and and you see you know this is part of Voss's tactical genius too you can quite often see her on the road use her influence to pressure teams other teams into making mistakes to to create opportunities for her teammates and stuff she's she's great at it and and we will joke inevitably multiple times this year about her doing the the kind of prisoner's dilemma thing of oh i might attack so you've all got to watch me but i'm not going to while my teammate attacks ha yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you often end up with two Rabobank riders in in the final group. So basically, you have a, you know, it can, you know, as they ride through the race, they lose right, you know, riders shed and shed and shed, and you end up with a small, you might end up with a small final group of of competitors, you know, who it's all going to come down to for the win, and you'll all end up with like Voss and a teammate. And one of her classic ones was years ago when it was Annemiek van Vleuten won the uh, Ronde van Vlaanderen. And Van Vleuten attacked, well, another rider attacked Van Vleuten, chased her, and all the rest of the team stuttered. Because what happens in cycling is when you ride behind someone, you get a massive advantage because you're protected from the wind, you're using much less energy, you're using their slipstream. So what would happen is they're like, well, if we chase her down, Voss will just be sitting in there, very fresh, getting very fresh legs, and then she'll just all beat us in the sprint. God damn it, what do we do? So Van Vleuten won. But this this tactic, this prisoner's dilemma tactic, has come up, is, is being used more and more and more. And we'll see that when we get to teams like Bowles, who we may as well talk about next. Is there another Dutch team, Bowles Dolmans? And they have 
I don't know what's going on with that team. I almost wonder who's going to carry the water this year mm. because they last year they were making. I don't think the people who were the butt of this joke made it found it funny. But some of the top riders were talking about the A team and the B team because they had a very large team and different teams would go for different races. This year they've got rid of their B team, um, <laughs> which I'm, I'm sorry for using that terminology. But they've and they've just added even more talent in. So last year, their Prisoner's Dilemma pairing was Ellen van Dyke and Lizzie Armitstead, which, you know, resulted in Ellen winning the Ronde van Vlaanderen and yep. Lizzie winning all sorts of things. And Lizzie ended up winning the World Cup. Yep, yep. And they're both they're both still part of the roster this year. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. added to that mix, that you know, you've got riders who have come across, like um, the one that stands out to me is uh, Evie Stevens, who was with... Um, um, Specialised Lululemon. Specialised Lululemon, who are now Velocio... SRAM um, and and so and she's she's definitely one that adds to to that whole hang on who who are we watching this race again kind of thing for me yeah yeah and um, now within those so Lizzie Armitstead has got tons of gold medals from the from the track and she was silver medalist in the Olympics Ellen Van Dyke is a team has got, was the ITT world champion in 2013 so they're very strong anyway. Evie Stevens, you might know her because she famously left a Wall Street job, became late to cycling. Her sister got her to ride a race. She just fell in love. She left her job at Lehman Brothers um, to go and become a professional full-time cyclist. And she's a very popular person. They've also, and she's a climber um, who who'll, who go for stage stage races and climbing races. And then they've got Chantal Black, who's joined them um, from also from from Specialized, and she's a classics type world cup you know world cup type rider very strong attacking opportunist and they've also always had megan granier an american rider who's a climber so it's gonna be quite interesting there mm-hmm. so another team that hasn't changed i'd say orica ais this is the only aussie pro t- only aussie uci registered team completely actually yep and they're obviously part of the Orica Green Edge setup, so they're a sister team to the men's team. Um, and they are headed by Paul Annie Johansson in her sort of penultimate season because she's going to quit after the Rio Olympics. Um, and Emma's, what, how would you describe Emma? Look, Emma is, um, I think, what you were saying earlier. She's like the consummate all-rounder. Emma is very strong, um, you know, but not necessarily the best climber or the best sprinter or the best um, classics rider, but she's very consistently strong across all these disciplines. And, um, and so that um, allows her to, to win a lot of races. Um, and I think it wasn't last season or the season before she was the first rider in, what was it, seven years to actually um, beat Mariana Voss in the, in the UCI points rankings for the season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, last year she had something like she had podiums on all of her first nine races or something. Oh, it was so frustrating for her, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, but Emma's Emma's very, very strong. I mean, her problem is is that the things she's best at are the things that Mariana Voss is best at. Um, within Orica, the other one of the other in the two other international riders, Luz Hunewijk, who is known as the best one of the best tactical road captains. Um, that's the person who makes the decisions in the race on the road. Yep. And Luce is retiring at the end of this season too. I know, which is going to be very, very tough for the team. Sorry, one one other thing I wanted to add about Emma, which is just a little factoid, but I'm enormously proud of. I swear to God, she speaks English with an Australian accent now. She just does. She does. She's, she's fucking Australian. I love it. I love no, it. So they've got, um, and then they've got... Um, 
uh, Valentina Scandalara, who's known mm. for her million, 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 million attacks, and then the rest of them are Aussies. Well, yeah, a million, million attacks, and now this year her her behind the scenes videos from races. Oh, they're hilarious! She put together the best series of, of behind the scenes videos I've ever seen of a race at the at the recent um, women's tour of Qatar. So, yeah, right. Let Let's move on. So another big team, Wiggle Honda. Um, Wiggle Honda are British based, but they're run by an Aussie. Um, so Aussies, you can claim them. Uh, Rochelle Gilmore, who is a fantastic sprinter, like um, world class sprinter in her own right, and has always been running teams. But Wiggle Honda is her biggest team. Now they've had a really big makeover this year. They've always had Georgia Bronzini, who's like the queen, of, you know, one of the two queens of the sprinting. Yeah. Um, but they've added all kinds of talent. I mean, they're enormous. They're huge. But they've got Elisa Longo Borghini, who's just Oh, fantastic young Italian. Mm. Um, she's Elisa's very, very tough and strong, and she she had a really, really unfortunate 2015 because she um, in the national championships had a horrible crash where she broke her hip and ripped up her stomach and stuff. But she's very good. She's a real one of those people who loves being a road captain, loves the reciprocity of teamwork. You know, she, her teammates will give themselves to her and she'll give themselves to her teammates and race for them. Um, they've also taken on Jolene Dora, who's a young Dutch cobbles rider who's who's had a fantastic breakout season last year. And Chloe Hosking, who's um, uh, everyone's favourite Australian sprinter, yep. I think it's fair to say, known for her fantastic blog. You should definitely read it. Yeah. And they've also taken on Mara Abbott, who um, in the past has won the Giro Rossa. It's a bit surprising because Abbott is... Um, tends to stay in the USA where she's based and just come over for the Giro. And I'm not sure it's going to be lots of fun watching how that works because yeah. will it work? How will that work? It's, it's kind of almost like, again, one of these big teams, pack of stars and you're like, well, how, who, who, how, who's going to get to race? Yeah, exactly, and it, it just becomes one of those one of those things to to keep an eye on, and and um, you know the responsibility of the team management to to figure it out because you know we've also got um, Danny King on the roster, um, you know, and and no shortage of riders who deserve opportunities in in different races and different setups. So uh, Mara Abbott definitely is is one that's got me paying attention to what we will do over the course of the season. Yeah, it's problematic a little bit because Elisa Longo-Borghini is the person who'd want to go for the Giro Rossa um, win. You know, she's been, mm. she's always targeted it. She's Italian. It's an Italian race. But Mara has won and come second and stuff like that. And, you know, loads. So, so will Elisa get her chance? But also they ride very, very differently. Mara... Um, is a very strong climber. She's, you know, she's kind yeah. of one of the few specialists. She basically you put her at the bottom of a grinding long climb and she'll get to the top, um, you know, uh, second um, last year because of Emma Pooley. <laughs> 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 but, but maybe first this year. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so that's going to be interesting. Um, so other big teams, um, Velocio Sram, we've mentioned a couple of times because this is a very interesting team there they've been known especially as lululemon before they were the hdc high road team before that they were t-mobile and they're run by chrissy scrimger who's a former rider herself and really one of the most interesting characters and it's, you know you look at someone like rochelle gilmore and christy scrimger who are behind the teams and they're as interesting as the riders you know yeah um but they lost last year. They lost their sponsors, specialised in Lululemon, and they've had a bit of problems. They did some crowdfunding to support the team, and they've lost. You know, they've lost riders like Eddie Stevens and Chantal Black, and a couple of others. But when you look at their roster, they've still got Lisa Brenauer, who 
won the ITT and was second in the road race at Worlds. Tiffany Cromwell, who's just this, you know, very, very gutsy rider, really yeah. attacking. Trixie Warwick, who's, who's, you know, woman most likely to win most aggressive rider jersey. And then they've added in riders like Barbara Gurishi, young Italian sprinter. So although they've lost some big firepower and they've lost some resources, they're still one of the, they're always, always one of the teams to watch. And they've won the team time trial every time it's ever been raced yeah, <laughs> in yeah, the, the world. The world so, the world yeah, so they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're very, um, yeah, it's going to be, it's, and they're very well known for their social media. Um, yep. If you want to follow riders on social media, Wiggles videos, Rabobank's videos are you know great, and the Velocio website and Twitter is is a really good one. Mm -hmm. um, new teams on the block, Bigler. Bigler used to be uh, well, it's not really new, but it is sort of. Bigler used to be super famous um, back in the day when they had all the top stars, and they've just kind of come out again, haven't they? They've got yeah. um, and they've they've put, basically they were a big at the beginning of the 2000s and middle of the 2000s, they were one of the biggest teams and they just shrunk and shrunk and now they've been developing. And so they've got Annemiek van Vlerten and Iris Slappendel from Rabobank and Ashley Moorman, who joins them from High Tech and Sharon Laws and Shelley Olds, who's an American sprinter and Shelley's partner, um, Manel Lacambra, is the DS. So yes, and again, it's like, well, how will this team gel? We've got so many stars. How will mm. it gel? Who will, how will they ride for each other? What's going to go on? Yeah? But it so is, that's it is a very strong strong list and it will be interesting to see exactly as you say uh how they gel and, and what happens one of the things that we've seen last year and i think this year is shaping up to again is a more diverse spread of talent you go back two three years and those top teams that we mentioned earlier you know it, it really was you know maybe three teams rabo and and um a couple of others who held almost all of the talent um, and it's it's a really positive sign to see that that's spreading more and more across, you know, uh, a more diverse group of teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple of when I first got into women's cycling, it was it was very much HTC versus Cervelo test team with Mariana Voss and Emma Johansson around the corners. And it's changing and changing. And this year is the rise of the super teams. Yeah. Mm. And we've also got new teams. Um, I can never remember their full name. Sorry. Impa, which is which is the home of Rossella Ratto. Inter Yeah, they're really Bianchi. You can tell them by their Bianchi colours. But I guess the Bianchi colours is so recognisable that they've just decided to go for three other sponsor names. And they're an Italian team, new, brand new Italian team set up around Rossella Ratto. Yep. High Tech, a Norwegian-based team who are, this year is the home of, of Kirsten Wild, who's just this fantastic Dutch sprinter. And like I said, um, just won a scratch race in the road worlds. Um, other riders, Lotto is the Belgian team around. The biggest team, Italian team, is Ale Cipollini. Um, Liv Planteur is an interesting one. They're the sister team of, oh, my God, what are they called this year? Giant Alperson. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, you know, they're the sister team of that. Now, they've only got eight riders registered, which is interesting, but they've actually got ten. And they've got Claudia Lichtenberg, who's a former Giro winner, and Lucy Garner, who was a two-times junior world champs uh, winner, and Amy Peters, who's a kind of total Dutch, you know, classics attacky person. So, yeah, so you've got lots of teams like that. Mm. And then, um, we've, then... Got, we've got several American teams as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't say any of the American teams are super teams. And most of them, what they'll be doing is dividing their time between the USA domestic season 
um, which has actually got beefed up this year, which we'll tell you about, and the European team. But yeah, United Healthcare and Opt- an Optum presented by Twit Pep. Uh, Optum presented by Kelly Benefit Strategies. Um, they are the two biggest American teams, um, and they 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 have a men's team and a women's team, and they'll be you know come, they'll be coming over to Europe to Europe all the time. You've also got Tibco and 2016. And 2016, I love. I've got a big soft spot for them. They're, yeah. they're run by Nicola Cranmer. They're great. And then Pepper's 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 Palace, which I think is going to be my American team to support for the year. <laughs> um... our, our good friend um, Amber Pierce is riding with them this year, and already. Like, like I am just so impressed with their social media and just, like, they seem to be very, very fun. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They've got Lindsay Bayer, who's one of my favourite riders, just for her wacky videos and stuff like that. <laughs> um, there's, if, you're, if you're a UK person looking to teams of sport, Matrix Fitness um, is, a, is, is, is UCI, is Stefan Wyman's team, team that's been around for years, and it's, it's UCI for the first time. And last, that's where Laura Trotts, and Eleanor Barker, who are um, well, not anymore, um, world team pursuit world champions, because that's where um, that's that's the Auss- Aussies now. Yeah. Um, that's where that that's where they're where they're going to be riding. Hmm. And if you want teams to know, well, which team do we boo, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're that kind of person, um, you know, yeah. don't be so negative. Like, cheer up, stop being such no. a downer. But also, yeah, no. here's a list of teams to boo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not boo, but the teams which you want if you want to raise your eyebrows at. Um, last year Astana and B Pink. B Pink's a team that's been around for a little while, and last year they became Astana B Pink, and then Astana and B Pink split, and there's a split within the management too. And I think it's a split on um approaches and stuff. So B Pink is now a small Italian team again. Astana is now based in Kazakhstan, and they have a couple of riders who have had doping bans and stuff like that. Um. Lots, 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 lots other Italian teams that are great. Um, I think Ali Cipollini is probably the biggest, definitely the biggest, definitely the most brightest, definitely the brightest, their proper fluorescent kit. Um, yeah, and they've got um, young star like Ariana Fidanza, Maria Giulia Confanlonieri. They've lost some of their big names, but they're still, if you want an Italian team to support, I'd go for Ale, Cipollini, and then B Pink are fun too. And there's other teams at other levels, so the feminine cycling team out of, based out of um, out of out of Germany, and some other little team, other t- other teams that have got quite a lot of fun. Sure. So you say, hey, thanks, Sarah. Uh, that's a great rundown on the teams, but. Now that I've chosen my teams to love and my teams to raise eyebrows at, what do I do with this newfound knowledge? So, yeah, what we're going to do is look at what they're actually going to be racing this season. Now, I this is a very personal thing, but I divide the calendar into three parts. And we're going to look at the European the European side, but I'm also going to take a little bit of a detour into North America because there's a specific um, North American season this year. It's very exciting. But basically, I divide it into spring classics, summer stage races, and then the pre-world build-up, last chance for glory, fun, fun, fun end season. Yeah? Does yep. that kind of make sense to you? Uh, yeah, it does. And and I think, you know, broadly speaking, it's a, it's a convenient way to, to sort of create a bit of a narrative for the season and, and sort of understand where you're at. Yeah. So just very briefly, Dan, what's a classic? What do you mean by Look, classic in cycling? A, a classic is specifically a one-day race, but usually, um, as you mentioned earlier, it has some sort of uh, combination of features that um, make it somewhat unique. So a classic is 
uh, sort of develops its own identity, and that might be regionally specific. So, say we we go over the Valkenberg 125 times, oh. or you know Ooh. we we ride through Flanders and and literally try and hit every single cobble in Belgium, or <laughs> or, or something like that. But a classic by its nature, has something distinctive about it that makes it harder than just riding your bike to the shops. Yeah, and they happen in the spring, basically. Now, throughout the year, one of the things that the women's season has that the men's doesn't, the men used to have this but didn't, is the World Cup season. And the World Cups are a... Well, it's, it's interesting because some of the World Cups are some of the best races in, 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 the, in the calendar, hands down the best races. Some of the World Cups, you're not really sure why they're a World Cup, but they still make the season more fun too. Um, so shall we start with... If we start with the World Cups, because they span the whole season, then you'll maybe understand a little bit about what we're, what we're, what we're talking about. Um, there used to be, back in the day, 11 of them, and they used to be all around the world so that they were in Australia and Melbourne and places like that. And in the last couple of years, they've reduced a little bit down to eight but now we're back up to one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven it's very exciting it's really happy and it's a series where riders get cumulatively for every race so as well as riding the individual race which gives you a lot of glory it gives you points towards the overall competition indeed and yeah so you have the so when we talk about the world cup that's it we're talking about the series and the world cup leader so when we say lizzie armistead won the world cup we mean that she won the series but each of these races have a cachet and they're also the ones you're most likely to get to see on tv yeah and actually one of the most exciting things about last season was in the second half of the year the uci started streaming all of the um the world cups live which for women's cycling fans that's that's a luxury that we've not previously had and long may it continue yeah yeah starts off on the 14th of march now generally in the past the world cup has been i guess it's been skewed towards the kind of day riders who can climb so riders who are you know basically tough one day race specialists who can climb so your mariana vosses your emma johansson's Riders like that. But this year it's got a little bit more open because we start on the 14th of March in the Netherlands with a Ronde van Drenthe. Um, there's three Drenthe day races and it's a really fantastic organisation. This area of the Netherlands loves its cycling. It's, 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 got, it's famous for having lot of the cobbles that are like unlike any other cobbles they've literally just chucked a load of rocks off a truck into a into a sandy bit so that farmers can get down to their fields yeah and it also has a man-made hill the vanberg that's a former municipal rubbish dump only in the netherlands i guess do you do you decide to that that your your landscape is so flat and sparse that you you need to make a, a hill in such a fashion but then yes. in true dutch thinking you go well let's have a race over it yeah yeah yeah. and every year the hill gets a bit bigger because um some well not every year but every now and again the hill gets a bit bigger as they had more landfill to it um this year so ronda van drenthe is normally an attacking killer beautiful race if you can track down the video of lizzie armit said winning last year it is just spectacular racing but it's different this year because they've actually taken out one of the climbs of the Vanberg and it now ends with laps of the um, of the town. So it's more likely to come down to a sprint. I think it's still going to come out from a small group. But this is kind of one where the sprinters can go, hurrah! Yes, excellent. One more for us. But, you know, riders who win this one have to be good at riding in the wind. They have to be tactically very incredibly adept. They have to be good at riding cobbles. Yep. So that's and this, the 14th. And, and- 
this sorry just goes back to what we were saying earlier about the the tactical situation for women's teams being somewhat different so you know you look at a course like this and you say yeah normally you would expect that that would stick for for a bunch sprint but actually in women's cycling no the the script isn't quite that firm um, yeah. and, and so it's entirely possible slash quite likely that we'll see a sprint finish, yes, but it'll be from a group of, say, 12 rather than, you know, the peloton. So, yeah, 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 yeah. So two weeks after Drenta, we go to Lake Como. Do I mean Lake Como? No, I don't. I don't know where we're going to. We're going to the Varese province, province for Trofeo Alfredo Binder, which is the Italian round of the World Cup. And this is a very different race. It's, mm. It rains a lot in Varese in the spring, but it's beautiful. It's stunning. Um, oh, Lake Maggiore, sorry, Italians. Um, and they basically do a really long loop, which has a big climb in the middle of it. And then they do loops of a, around the city and they end up which always has a giant climb and a very steep descent and to win there you have to be you have to be able to climb and descend and be tactically great and it's a really really fabulous race and, and generally as as sarah says um bike handling can come into play quite a lot because it does it does rain a lot in the spring and so the conditions um often you know it's very important that you be able to stay upright i know that sounds yeah, yeah, yeah. obvious but it, it it's a factor yeah, Trofeo Binder, I love it. I love this race. Um, and Drenta and Binder are generally streamed live. Yeah, if you not necessarily on a legal channel, but we should get to see them. Um, a week after Binder, we go to Flanders for the Ronde van Vlaanderen. Um, mm-hmm. This is one of the races that, if you are a men's cycling fan, it's just epic. It's very, very famous. It's a classic of classics. It's um, it's in Flanders. Yeah. It's, and it's, it's it's arguably that that number one of the the one day classics like it's 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 a holy kind of race in cycling it's cobbles it's it's climbs it's it's punishment it's pain it's excitement it's it's just a fantastic race yeah and you have to be basically who who's most likely to win this race you have to be tough it mm. can be won by the climbing types or it can be won by the sprinting types but you've got to get up tons of little punchy climbs and what we mean by punchy climbs is they're not very long but they're but they're steep they're yeah? steep so, and then they're they're often quite twisty on cobbles and again you know the conditions the weather um it's it's often still quite cold um, sometimes a bit rainy. There's there's all sorts of things that just make it a tough, tough, tough race. But also, because we're in Belgium, the roads are narrow, and we've literally seen situations where you know the the course takes a, a left hand turn at one point, the road narrows, and you've got 200 riders all trying to stay in the the first 20 as they come yeah, around this yeah. corner. And the, the bottleneck is enough for someone to get away and win the race. So it's a yeah. it's a very very tense race for riders because you're constantly under pressure to stay at the front but it's so good to watch yeah and it's also very very atmospheric because there are like millions of belgians on the side of the road cheering their heads off um so occasionally maybe a drunk australian or two but yeah 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 but but they try they've got better at not letting them in recently um So that's on the 5th of April. Then we go to the 22nd of April, which is the second of those men's and women's shared classics for Flesh Wallon. Um Flesh Flesh on it's generally the women that what happens with the men's race is they do this hundred hundred mile hundred kilometer lap into the last bit of flesh on they do two loops there's no there's pretty much no flat in flesh on the women just do the two loops and each loop ends on the iconic murder 
and the murder hui is an incredibly steep narrow twisty climb road that you basically sprint up everyone always knows that flesh will on comes down to murder the murder hui but you have to work very 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 hard in the women's race to stay at the front to get there yeah yeah absolutely so that's on 22nd of april so and that's the in, first in past years and this is why i have feelings in past years despite the fact that they have a live camera turned on at the finish line um flesh Fallon have done an excellent job of not actually showing us the race so yeah he's hoping that 2015 is our year yeah one of the debates about men's and women about women's cycling is should women have more races on the same course and same day as men's cycling or should they have more standalone races personally my view is i like a bit of everything yeah i like them where they have men's and women's on the same course same day men's and women's on the same course on different days women's races by themselves because they're just they're, it's, it's different it's, they, they, they give different things but one of the disadvantages of having men's and women's races on the same day is that you don't get ctv for women yeah it's it, so it... sorry i'm just i'm staying positive by saying nothing <laughs> yeah so basically we've had the first four rounds of the world cup over five weeks yeah we now have a bit of a break where on the 17th of may we go to chongming the chongming island in china on the yangshi yangshi river um this is a sprinter's race the roads are incredibly wide the highest point the decline the mountains point is when they go onto a road bridge it comes down to a bunch sprint pretty much every time that's this is one of the two sprinters pure sprinters races and then on the 7th of june we go to america oh for one of the greatest like just so much fun races the philadelphia international cycling classic um no, no parks hotel philly classic dear yeah that's its name Okay. Parks okay. Hotel, Parks Hotel, fully classic. Um, this is a race that's been around for years and years. Have a men's race and a women's race. The women's race is the World Cup, so it's really big. Um, and it ends up basically when the race organisers were making up, were looking, they were looking for roads that could go up, and they've invented a climb. So you know, so in cycling we have climbs like you know the Tourmalet and Alpes and climbs like that that are very very famous. Um, in this one, the Philadelphians made up their own climb, the Maniunk Wall. <laughs> Indeed, and it's it's great because it's um, you know it's through Philly, so you've got plenty of locals out on the street, um, often firing up the the barbecue, drinking beer all day, and and just you know enjoying the awesomeness that that a bike race should be. Yeah. Now in the old now Philly Classic, for years and years and years, there'd never been an American winner because it used to end on a sprint because the Maniunk Wall was halfway through the course. They've changed that now. It now finishes at the top of Maniunk Wall, and it's been won by Americans. Hello, Americans. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah, it's, well, um, you know, and, I mean, because because no other nation would ever ever change a parkour to favour one of their riders ever. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think. No, I don't. I don't. I genuinely don't think it was the incentive to do it. I think they just wanted to make it an even better race. Yeah. Now one of the things is is that not everyone will ride all of these races yeah so some people will not won't won't you know some people will rock up like last year uh, marianne Voss's first race was flesh on yeah she still came on the i think she was still on the podium of the world cup series overall because she's just that good so and uh, but you know but ten, you know what happens is a lot of riders so last year lizzie armitstead emma johansson marianne Voss didn't go to Chongming. so you don't necessarily see all riders at all races so if you're thinking oh my god i can go to philly and i can see marianne Voss, lizzie armitstead and ellen van dyke just remember that not everyone goes everywhere yeah and that's the, one of the beauties the of the world cup sure is to go to every race so you should you should just go to every race 
Yeah. So after Philly, then there's another gap. So basically we go for four races in five weeks for the spring classic sections. Then we have, you know, one in May, one in June. And then and after that, no, none in July. And then on the 2nd of August, we have a Sparkassen Giro, which is a tough little German race. It's been around for years. It was brought into the World Cup for the first time last year. Um, and it was won last year in a, in a bunch of sprints. I don't know what the course is going to be like this year because it tends to be a sprinter's race, but kind of you have to be the type of sprinter who can get over a hill. And after Sparky Giro, we come to the final three races, which kind of cluster together. This is my pre-world's last chance for glory um, part mm. of this, you know, part of the season. We go to Sweden for the Open to Sweden for Gorda, where they have two races. One is a team time trial, which is very, very definitely preparation for the World Championships. Yeah. And it's the same course every year. It's usually terrible weather, and it's um, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, team time trial. That's on 21st of August, and then on the 23rd of August, you have the Vagorda Road Race, and this is one of those races that, although it's on the same course every year. It could be won in any style. It's been in the past a bunch sprint. It's been in the past a, a single rider escaping. It's been a couple of people. It's been a small group. It can be won in any kind of race. It's always exciting. It, it's actually thrilling. been pretty much impossible to predict the script for this race, which is part yeah. of what makes it so awesome because you you just kind of have to watch and see what's happening on the day. Like there's no. Yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. they have a, they have, I think it's 11 laps of the same loop and it's got a hill and a descent in it and then some technical sections in the town. But, you know, it's one of those courses where on paper it doesn't look particularly challenging, but it's just how you ride it. Mm, you mm. know, it's it's really, really interesting. I love it. And then a week later after Vagorda, we're in Plouay. Um, Plouay has this four days of cycling festival. They have men's races and the Women's World Cup. And Plouay, again, they change the course quite a lot every year, but in general, it has a hard climb and you've got to be an opportunist person to win it. It's like a kind of classic, a really hard race and it's it's mm. really good pre-world prep, yeah? yeah? Just in terms of looking at it and going, wow. <sighs> so that's the World Cup. Oh, my God. And they have within the World Cup, they have ongoing competitions for best young rider and sprinters jersey and mountains jersey and stuff. Um, and yeah, but the big thing that everyone cares about is the overall World Cup classification. But within it, you'll also have riders who will say, well, if it was a choice between getting the overall and winning a race, I'd rather win a race. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, because while the overall is important, what's really important is winning those individual races. They're beautiful races. You know, if you win Drenta or Binder or Flanders or Flesh or Bagorda or Plouay, you're, you know, you're, those are really, really big name races, big important races. So, you know, it'd be better, you know, you'd rather win one and come 10th overall than, than, than you know, than, than come fourth in all of them <laughs> and win <laughs> on points. And and if, if you're uncertain about that, just ask Emma Pooley about how it, how it felt to be leading on points, but coming perpetually second. <laughs> Emma Johansson, yes. Ah, sorry, yes. Emma Johansson, yes. Yeah. Sorry. So, I, so, so that's the World Cup. That's 10 of them. And as we say, the, the UCI shows um, videos of them. They have like a 20-minute video highlights package of each of them and that turns up on various tv channels hopefully that will get bigger this year and they also where um last year where the swedish tv was streaming vagorda and the french tv was streaming plue they put that onto the uci website as well with commentary by rochelle gilmore um in one of her many roles and yeah and they're they're great mm. so i i just i look i recommend them i recommend so them. The, they're going the, to be wonderful yeah the world cups are great and they're a reliable you know you, you're basically always guaranteed an awesome race 
Um, but there are a couple of other, you know, one-day races on the on the calendar that I'm particularly excited about. Um, and I was wondering if you had any other races, Sarah, that you were uh, really looking forward to. I'm oh. especially excited about the 7th of March's Strata Bianchi. Yeah. No, let, let's start. Let's do it chronologically because the season starts. I mean, although we've had a load of races in South America, Central America, Qatar, New Zealand this week, the season really kicks off with the Omloop Het Noisblad on on the twenty eighth of February. Um, Omloop, this is a very famous race. It's one of the monuments. There's a men's race at the same time as the women's race, so we won't get to see much too much TV. And it's just everything about belgian classics it's got lots of little hills and cobbles and it's brutal and it's hard and yeah and you know everyone's a little bit edgy you have to be very careful not to crash in the neutral zone there's always like riders who've never ridden in a peloton this size before and lots of you know kind of crashes and stuff but you know you don't watch it for the crashes but just to warn you that's on 28th and then strada bianchi tell us about strada bianchi dan Oh, mate, this is like, this is actually the first year that they've had this on the women's calendar. So in the past, it's, it's been a men's race, but it's an Italian race. And um, basically, what happens is a, a significant part of the course, you remember we mentioned classics have often a distinctive characteristic that helps define it and also make the race hard. Strada Bianchi includes riding over um, some dirt roads and basically... Um, you know, the, the white, dusty roads in Italy. White, chalk roads. Yeah. Is it Tuscany? Oh, it's and beautiful. It is just gorgeous. And, and no matter what, it's just a beautiful spectacle of a race. It doesn't matter what the conditions are like or, or anything. You're just guaranteed. It, it's just a one of those races. It always delivers. It's just, it's just very exciting and visually yeah. stunning. It's just brilliant. It, it's new on the it's relatively new on the men's calendar, but it's one of those ones where it's become a monument. When you talk about monuments on the men's side, these are the very famous ones like Paris Roubaix, Ronde van Vlaanderen, and Flesh. And it's become a monument very quickly, and it's it's gorgeous. Um, Drenthe, we talked about the Ronde van Drenthe, but there's two other races around that, which is brilliant. Um, on the same day as Binder, there's Gent with Elgem, um, which is a men's race. The women's race has one as well. But um, basically what you'll do, the Binder is the important race that weekend. But while the climbing types are, are charging over that hill, there'll be sprinters in Gent with on the cobbles. Mm. Um, Ronde van Vlaanderen and GP Dottigny are two way, you know, that happen on the same weekend. So if you want to go to Flanders, go to Ronde van Vlaanderen, but then go to GP Dottigny on the Sunday too, because it's wonderful. Yep. Flesh will on. And then on the 25th, the last of the kind of my last big classics on the you know 25th of April, Omelette van Borsele and Dwarves door Westhoek, which are very, very typical Dutch Belgian races. Um, if you like junior women's races, the ones to look out for are Binder, which has the junior women riding on the same course as the elite women. Hurrah for that. Um, and Borsele also has a women's junior women's stage race. And then in amongst this, the first stage race the first european stage race of the year energy water which starts on the 8th of april which is just cobbles wind every day impossibly tough it's like i i count it as a classic even though it's a stage race because every day is like a classic stage. <laughs> so then we move into the stage races um i you know this is my middle part of the season the summer stage race season so even though we have those those races like chong ming and philly classic and stuff it, it's in the context of the stage race season um GP Elsie Jacobs in Luxembourg is always wonderful on mm. the 1st uh, to 3rd of March. Uh, Makamine Bira is a 
Basque race, which does what everything Basque races do, mountains, rain, trauma, which is the 10th to the 14th of June. And then the Friends Life Women's Tour. Which is, you know, your favourite home race. Yeah, last year, it's a brand new race. Last year, it was the first women's stage race, um, the UCI level stage race. It exploded onto the scene, standalone women's race with millions of people watching it and just really set the bar. Everyone talked about that all week. It's setting the bar. It's setting the bar for how you organise a race with fantastic coverage and fantastic organisation. And I'm going to be there doing their live tweeting. So, yes, they're my friends. I was there last year. I'm going to be there this year. But it was, a, um, it was a, for, for uh, its first time round last year, it was incredibly well run and it was great. Um, you know, the, the turnout on the side of the road, the, the media coverage, it was a great race. Yeah, and it's like, you know, you had Mariana Voss staying after and signing autographs for two hours afterwards. You know, you, mm. it's really good. It's If you're in Britain and you want to see some women's racing, go and see a day at least at the Friends Life Women's Tour because it was just wonderful, really, really packed, really great atmosphere, really good racing. Yeah. Um, then in July, we have the biggest women's stage race of the year. It's the only Grand Tour on the calendar. Dan, what's a Grand Tour? Well, a, a Grand Tour is a tour that, that goes for longer than a week. And um, you, you remember from earlier in the podcast when we talked about the weirdness of arbitrary rules around distances and things. Well, there's also slightly weird arbitrary rules around the number of days that you can have in a stage race. Um, so Yeah, yeah. 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 The men can do 18 days, 20 days, is it? 18 days 18, racing? 18 three. days racing over three weeks, yep. The women are limited to seven days, mm. except mm. For, for the Giro, which is, um, which is, uh, which is, which is ten, 10 days. days. Yeah. And it's Italian, it's a standalone race, it's always beautiful. There's always an hour of TV every day, but you might need some dodgy ways in to see it. And it's just, this is the, this is the stage race that everyone wants to win. This is mm. the Grand Tour, it's very, very special. It's, it's um, in terms of how important it is, it's the, the women's equivalent of the Tour de France in that it's the premier stage race of the year. Yeah. And we then go into Turingen in Germany, which is another amazing race. Mm. And after that, we have a race that I have feelings about, Le Course by Le Tour de France. It's a one-day race. It was new last year on the 26th of July. It's the, There's been a big fuss about ASO who, who run the Tour de France and stuff not having they used to be a women's Tour de France you used to have them on the same you know same day same course um you know same publicity joint podium all sorts of things like that and last year thanks to the petition set up by Emma Pooley and Catherine Bettine and Mariana Voss and Chrissy Wellington they've had a women's race um it's problematic because it's only 99 kilometers long and it's not necessarily the best showcase for women's riding just because the course is so, you know, it, it's a very wide course. It's on the Champs-Élysées, which is fantastic. But in terms of the racing, it's never going to show the best race because it's even shorter than the already normally short races. And and it's know, a very it's particular important. type of circuit, you know, and, and, and that's the thing. But it's sort of counterbalanced by the fact that it is on the, the last day of the Tour de France in front of those crowds broadcast. And, and so... You know, it, it's. I, I totally take your point. It, it's one of those ones that can be a little bit conflicting as a, as an established fan. But you know, if that's the if that's the hook that gets you into women's racing, then I welcome I welcome you to um, an amazing sport. And boy, are you going to be impressed by what you can find out <laughs> beyond it. So, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the summer stage races. 
I count the beginning of the pre-world's build-up as a new race from last... I know I used to count it from Vagorda, but now I count it from Norway, as last year we had the Ladies' Tour of Norway as the pre-Vagorda race, which is handy for riders because they, they pop out in Norway, then do some training, and then they do the Vagorda races. And Norway's on the 14th to the 16th of August. Um, beautiful scenery, hilly, fun, really well-done race. Um, it's in its second year this year. So then we have Vagorda Pluet, and then the last couple of races. At the same time, these overlap. You've got the Bowls Rentals Ladies Tour in the big, first week of, of September, and that's all about sprinters um, with a climbing end. And then at the same time, the Tour de l'Ardèche in France, which is all about hills, and yeah, and it's fun. Then mm. we go Lotto Decatur, Toscana, and then Worlds. Indeed, and and by that time, everyone who is is looking to worlds as um, deep into their preparation, and that's part of what makes that run into that that sort of end of the season quite interesting and exciting too. Is you you start to see who's showing good form and and prepping to to make worlds exciting. Yeah, but also you've also got this thing where in that final section from Norway you've got riders who are right this is our last chance for glory you know what i mean this is we haven't done so well all year this is our last chance for glory you've got riders who need to demonstrate why i should be taken to world champions god damn it i deserve it look at me you know you got it's a really interesting time of year and it's always some really powerful fighting races you know it, it's very it's it's very exciting and, and mm. energetic and fun um, very, 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 very quickly this year, we have more races in North America, a North American mini UCI season. Yeah, which I think is exciting. Um, and obviously, um, as we mentioned earlier, there's there's a good number of US-based teams as well. So we've got five pretty, pretty solid US teams. Um, and I'm, I'm generally quite excited about the growth that American cycling is showing. Yeah, yeah. So you have some races that were running already. The Joe Martin stage race and the Tour of the Gila, which you know run on on basically one after the one after the other, um, which are now UCI level. And then you've got the Tour of California, which isn't, which we'll talk about more near the time. Winston Salem at the end of. Then you have a couple of breaks. Winston Salem, the GP de Gatineau in in um, Canada and the Philadelphia Classic. So there's some really nice stuff where I think we'll see some teams sending a squad over to the USA basically from mid-April to the beginning of June because that's some really, really great racing. So yeah, um, North Americans be really happy because you've got amazing, fantastic homegrown season anyway, but now you can get UCI level points for it and it's just going to be fantastic for riders who... Um, who who can't commit to or aren't ready for a season in Europe to get the chance to race and and yeah so they're and they're generally hilly I'd say and it's fun yep. they're fun races so yeah hurrah for the North American growth. Um, one caveat about the calendar: what the calendar looks like now isn't necessarily what the calendar will look like for about the seventh fifth year in a row. They've got the Golan races in yeah. Syria on the calendar. Mm, mm. They yes. did run once, but you know, no, the Golan races aren't going to run. UCI, what are you thinking? I don't think the conf- I don't think the conflict is, is serious. Oh my god! You know, even if the conf- even if it was safe to ride, I think there's more important things going on in Syria right now than yeah. stage rate than racing. So, so the calendar can occasionally mislead you potentially. Um, yeah, yeah, something to be yeah. aware of. Yeah. So, how do people watch this, Dan? How do if people go, my God, that sounds great. How do I watch it? Well, look, this is the this is the big challenge of uh, of being a women's cycling fan. So, welcome to the inside circle, and you get a, a pen and pencil or pencil and a bit of paper ready because you're about to learn all sorts of arcane knowledge. First of all, 
do you have Twitter, my friend? If not, you need to get Twitter because that is one of the most reliable ways to get race information in real time. As we've mentioned a couple of times, um, live video coverage of races varies from non-existent to patchy to, oh my God, I can actually see it. This is the best thing that's ever happened in my life, including the birth of my children. Um, so, so you definitely want access to a bit of social media. But when there is uh, footage available, um, as Sarah mentioned, the World Cups, you get a nice highlights package at a minimum, which will be available on the UCI's uh, YouTube channel. But when a race is available live, you will generally be able to find it streaming somewhere on the internet. Now, yes. you may need some help with that. Yes. Um, basically, if you're not tech savvy, there's a thing called VPNs, a virtual proxy network. Is that what VPN means? Virtual private network, but yeah. Virtual private network, which basically means that it makes your computer think that it's somewhere else. So, for example, the Giro is streamed in, in, in Italy and they close the stream to only Italian people to watch it. But... If you have a VPN, your computer can pretend to be Italian. Yeah. And there are two VPN services, Ola, which is www.ola.org, and Tunnelbear, www.tunnelbear.com, which you can fire up and your computer can pretend to be somewhere else. Teleporters for your computer, basically. Yeah. Um, um, and they will, they will help you uh, to, to stream feeds from parts of the world where they may be geo-restricted. Um, yeah. There are more more complicated ways to do it as well, but those are two of the most accessible. And these, yeah, there's also um, also sometimes there are pirate feed sites where people set up pirate feeds where you watch them on a zoji feed. Don't ever click on any of the adverts because yeah, but um, there are pirate feed sites. But we can do that. But the what the key thing, what I like to do on on our site prowomenscycling.com, is when I know that there's going to be live racing, I'll put up a how to watch this race thread because which will give you all the information about it how to watch it and as dan says if you can't watch it live you can follow it on twitter so you know it's 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 very interesting if you're used to watching races on eurosport watching it on twitter only is a very different experience and actually sometimes it's more fun than watching it live in, in some ways it is kind of exciting engaged. yeah because there's and there's gaps in knowledge you know um because what happens uh when you're following a race by twitter usually we're relying on someone like um, Richie Steege, who's the, the mechanic for one of the teams, um, you know, who, who is tweeting from the team car in between swapping wheels and handing drink bottles to riders and stuff. Um, and, and he's working off of race radio plus whatever they can see from where they are. So you get this, this strange mix of things like four riders up the road and then eight minutes later you might find out that the four riders were, you know, Mariana Voss, Emma Johansson, um, <laughs> Lizzie Armitstead, Lizzie Armitstead and, <laughs> and Ellie Salongo Borghini. <laughs> but but they got caught, <laughs> and so yeah. you, you have this you have this thing of like reading the tweets, and going, "Oh my god, this is the best, this is amazing!" Oh, they got caught. Yeah, but the other thing, having done the live tweeting, because women's racing is lots and lots and lots of attacks, and, and not all of these attacks work. So sometimes, by the time you've written your tweet out, the situation has changed. And the other thing that always happens is is that you drop into a mobile a, a zone without mobile coverage, and that's yeah. when all the action kicks off. And you're saying, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" So yeah, so um, it's it's fun. 
It is, it is. But the other thing about Twitter that makes it funny is that, um, you know, like most media-savvy sort of things these days, most of your big races will have some sort of a hashtag, and it's easy enough to follow along, and you're going to meet a whole bunch of other fans and people, and it's kind of like just this big internet chat where you hang out and, and talk shit and make jokes and, and watch the race, and it's a, yeah. it's a nice way to make acquaintances and get to know more about the sport. Yeah, and what you really want to do as well is to follow riders who tweet and riders who have Instagram and riders who blog because the women's riders, because they don't have as much media as the men do, they kind of create their own media. And we'll put links up to how to find them. Chloe Hosking's blog has got a specifically good riders who blog, riders who tweet section. And I do, I'll do. i be putting up some, some things like this on our site too yeah. throughout the year to and help you find people so you can actually see what it's like following your favourite rider as she, as, she races around the, as she races around the world. Absolutely, and as Sarah said earlier, a lot of these women, um, you know, have professional careers uh, to the side or, or you know, uh, alongside their, their cycling careers. And um, and so the quality of, of what they produce is actually very, very high. You know, in Chloe's um, race blogs, for example, are, are just brilliant for the insight into how things work. And writers like Gracie Elvin, who often does um, video diaries of, of races, and um, we mentioned Valentine. Marine De Vries, uh, journalist by trade, um, who who publishes um, for herself and for other outlets, and um, you know Valentina Scandalara's behind the scenes videos that we we talked about earlier. There's there's a wealth of stuff to to, to see. Yeah, so I'm um, basically if you the, what I what I would recommend is if you start following the racing and you want you know you see you see a rider that's interesting or you see an interesting thing on Twitter just just have a look just have a nose around them because they're really really fun and if you want to talk to them or ask them something they're often very very accessible so just just drop them a tweet and ask them a question they'll answer because they love their sport they do it they're not they're not so much in it for the money like the men are. They're, none of them are getting a million pounds a year, you know, like, like they're, they're doing it because they love it. When you've got someone who, well, you know, Sharon Laws, she could be an environmental consultant to Australian mining firms, which is what she does in the off season. You know, <laughs> that brings in a lot of money. You know, she's not, that makes, that brings in a significant six figure salary. Do you know what I mean? That's yeah. not, um, yeah. that, but she's choosing, she's not getting a six figure salary for her riding by any stretch of the imagination. So yeah, it's, they're very good fun riding. And, and you mm. can't go wrong. So thank you for, for joining us and, and our introduction to Women's Cycling 101 course today. Yes, I mean, we'll be, we do a weekly, well, roughly weekly podcast. I guess we're going to be back to weekly, aren't we, Dan? Aren't well, we Dan? pretty much, pretty much. I mean, you know, Newsblad, Het Newsblad's next week and um, and then we're into it, you know. So I, I'd yeah. say I'd say we're pretty much back to it. One of the wrinkles for us this year is that Sarah and I are both working full time, and um, and and so our schedules are a little harder to coordinate. So bear with us over the the next couple of weeks because it may take us a little while to get into a routine. But we'll we'll pin that down as quickly as we can for you, and um, yep. we'll be back to talk about all the the racing, the joys, the highs, the lows, the happiness, the sadness, the triumphs, and beer. Because <laughs> I love beer. It's oh, it's he's great. Australian. Mm. Um, thank you for listening, and thank you very much. I'm funded to do this by my Patreon supporters um, over at www.patreon.com/slash/women'scycling, who fund my various writing adventures and stuff like that. Thank you. I really appreciate you. If you want to talk to us, I'm on Twitter at underscore pigeons underscore. Dan's on Twitter at dan w official. Um, and yeah, and you, or you can reach us at prowomenscycling.com. And yeah, so we'll uh, we'll talk to you all again next week. Thank you very much and goodbye.